0: everybody, it's Andy Richter and I am uh, the host of the three questions, still am, they're still letting me do it, and uh, I'm very happy to have an old friend, um, and and our histories are inextricably linked. Uh, I'm talking to Kristen Bell, who is just one of the brightest, most positive, shiny people I have ever known, and it's disgusting, (laughs) it's infuriating.
2: Yes. That is the goal.
0: Now it's but quite seriously, you are so like you have so much you see, or at least you seem to have so much energy, and you're always doing something, and you're like, you know, successful actor, mother of two, and then have all these like kind of you know, like you have your own fucking kids line of products and shit. Like, how do you have so much energy to do all this?
2: I'm annoying.
0: Medication? What
2: is it? Tons. I mean, first of all, caffeine. Yes. I'm like incredibly reliant on caffeine. <laughs> Look, I mean, I got I have big dreams and I also have an incredible support system and people yeah. that I work with. I do not do any of this all by myself. Yeah. Um, I you know, I mean I do the acting jobs by myself, whereas like no one is, you know, seer knowing me and I'm, I'm doing th- that work. But we started Hello Bello, the the kids line with a couple of really great people who I just my goal in life is to hitch my cart to the smartest person in the room and take a ride
0: nice so why'd you marry Dax hmm. come on that was nah, that
2: was fucking good-
0: was, was waiting right there
2: um you know I
0: <laughs> you don't really have to I answer
2: can't that. I can't explain it
0: I think I think all anyone has to do is is lay their eyes on Dax Shepard and they know why you married him
2: Oh, yeah, had a, it's had a, primal.
0: Put a head to put a fucking ring on that piece of beef.
2: You got immediately. it. And you listen to him on his podcast and then you see how emotional he is. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 a-
0: except, <laughs> except I do. I really I think I've listened to it twice. And I'm not even I mean, don't tell anybody this. I'm not even a big podcast uh, 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 consumer, mm-hmm. but I've listened to his the first episode of his in which he in which he. Interviewed you because, and and I I honestly, it's like, it's like a a laboratory for medical or or, uh, marriage therapy. Like, just like there's just so many ways. And because I and the thing is, is like when he talked about it later and said, like, he listened back to it and realized, hey, shut up. Let her talk. Why are you differing with everything she said? And I just and I love that so much about him. And I love that about you guys that you were like willing to kind of put that out
2: there you gotta like yeah we, can't, we cannot be a part of this whole like let's all act like we're perfect and yeah. with, with i mean i know it's like the the most fatigued subject but yeah you can curate who you are now with social media and with editing and all these things and and people make mistakes and you want to be like we're monkeys you want to be an yeah. example to the other monkeys that like a mistake doesn't mean you have to feel shame the rest of your life like i that's my fight all the time Deal, nobody's going anywhere, but like sometimes we hate each other and we, we still raise our kids together. When I did that first episode, he we bickered so much because I was genuinely off-put by the fact that he made me do it because I wanted to go to Michael's. I wanted to go get the garland, it was on sale. He thought that was such a stupid like idea that I would need to go to Michael's. And I'm like, how do you think your house looks so warm and cute around the holidays? Like, do you think that just happens? Do you think some magical elves come in here? No, I see. Think- strategically buy beautiful decorations I make a a gorgeous house for us at the holidays I do it on a budget and like I needed to go to Michael's and then the whole episode became about that yeah he almost didn't release it because he's like I can't release an episode the first episode of my podcast where we're just bickering and I was like why yeah that's that was a real conversation we had. Who cares? Like, I, yeah. I, I'm just not I don't care as much anymore about like my image or how I'm perceived. I just want to be real and authentic. Yeah. People are going to take it how they take it.
0: Do you worry about sharing too much? Huh? Like, do you worry? Because like I, I I have to be honest with you, like I'm always just from having done this forever and, and w- been sitting next to famous people for a million years. I always makes me nervous when people Take their personal life and bring it into the public sphere because it's and I don't have any concrete evidence, but it just scares the shit out of me that like you're going to lose track of what's what you're going to lose what's for you and what's for sale.
2: That is a very, very good point. And in addition, you put a target on your back for all of these sort of like slimy media enterprises that are magazines and whatever that want to then make you a Barbie doll in they soap opera drama to Selma yeah. and then you become like you know I, yeah. yeah but I I think that Very early on, Dax and I were really, really territorial of our relationship. We didn't want to say a single thing. And I can't remember if it was a slow roll or something happened where we had a positive impact by saying we had either had a fight or bickered or had a marital problem. Or maybe it was that we went to therapy. Yeah. We saw the positive impact and there was sort of this weighing of, okay, we could choose to protect ourselves which is probably a a good thing to do. yeah. Or we could open up, open the kimono, you know, and and be vulnerable and actually maybe sometimes say too much. But if that has a positive impact on people, and if that's sort of disrupting this idea of perfection that is, you know, dividing people's personalities and making people have depression and anxiety about who they Mm -hmm. really are versus are on Instagram, maybe that's just worth it. And yeah. The decision to we do actually have really clear lines of what's ours and what we will share because, like our kids, we never share.
0: You're right. And now and that you've they, been like sort of instrumental in that too.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. when we were babies, they got their picture taken, and it was around the same time. That people were talking about this issue and Jen and Hallie had there, there was a law that was passed that the paparazzi couldn't come after kids, but you had, it was a whole big tangled thing. And I, and Dax and I said, this has to be a consumer issue. Yeah. The, consumers don't want to consume something because it can- it's like when, you know, you know, pink slime or whatever, they were like, oh, meat is pink slime. The meat buying goes down. Like if people see, yeah. know that when they're in the nail salon and they open up a magazine and they see a beautiful picture of a kid, if they can understand that the only thing that kid felt was the predator and prey instinct because they were being followed by a cameraman and maybe their friend was knocked off the swing set, then maybe they won't want to crack the magazine open. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition, I went around to all of the media conglomerates. I went to extra and access and E and people and us weekly. And I met with the the presidents and the CEOs. And I said, I have a list of people here who are no longer going to do interviews for you unless you agree not to publish their kids without their consent. And some people consent to their kids being published and that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's on, that's totally up to the individual family, but our kids know why we don't. Um, and I explained it to them like this. I said, I'm, I gotta be a good mommy and I gotta keep you safe and I don't ever want you in a position where you're at an airport and someone calls your name because yeah, they Yeah, face- yeah. Hey Lincoln Shepherd. I don't want yeah, to go. Yeah. So, you know, I guess because we have a the territory of home life a little bit with the kids, the rest of it, like as far as the marriage stuff, we're pretty damn honest about needing therapy, when we fight, when we don't, things we've been through. And that's all just because I want people to relate to it. I want people yeah. to not feel like their problems are, are different.
0: Are the uh, I have two questions after. One is: Are the is this based on mistakes that both you guys made in previous relationships, or have you always kind of had this policy of sort of? I mean, obviously, we're never in the public eye as much, but just that kind of, you know, not afraid to share with the world warts and all sort of your relationship.
2: No, I mean, well, maybe. I mean, there's definitely like the shame stigma of vulnerability has really been it's been it's taken a lot of it's changed a lot recently. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, think about it. Nobody would just openly admit they were in therapy. Yeah, You know, that was like a weird thing to say. And now it's like a very positive thing to say, which it should be. And the same thing about anxiety and depression. I mean, it's weird, though, because it's this double standard. Like none of us would ever shame a diabetic for taking insulin, But like if you have a problem, you want to talk to a therapist, we're going to shame you for that. Like that's ridiculous. So um, I think. I had been maybe more private in previous relationships, but this one was really like a deliberate decision to go like, if we can be an example and and share some more vulnerable stuff and I guess show all the ways we're not perfect, like go against this idea of the celebrities, at least that I grew up with when I was in high school of like, oh, that person doesn't have any problems. Like Julia Roberts never seemed like she had a problem to me and that wasn't any her doing, that was like, what the media was doing and stuff in the late nineties. But now I just, I like the fact that people are oversharing and being more human. I mean, I told him yeah. like pinworm six times, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 But see that, you were going for a record. So that's different.
2: That's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: yeah, I, you know, it's when you say that about mental health and, you know, and counseling and stuff, I have encountered that in my, you know, cause I, first of all, a, I tend to have a pretty cynical jaded view about show business in general and about kind of like you know the like this this grandiose notion that showbiz has of itself of being kind of noble and you know and it's all for the kids and it's and like no it's all for money and it's all for ego and all that kind of shit but when I did start to because I've been in therapy for a Three hundred and seventy-five years, and I've been on medication for three hundred and seventy-four years, mm-hmm. and um, I did, you know, I did like I did a couple podcasts or kind of mental health podcasts, and I've talked about it kind of openly, just in my own, you know, social media kind of things, and it really made a difference to people. Like I had people. Like, so much anecdotal evidence of people coming up to me and being, like, choked up and saying, you talking about this on a podcast made me feel like I should do something about the misery I've been feeling for years and years and years and get over the fact that my parents are going to be mad at me because I go talk to someone about it. Yeah. And and that to me, first of all, it boggles my mind that at this time, at this – like, we're not talking 1972, you know. Like that people still are fucking weird about going. And you said, you know, like you said, a diabetic, that's the way I always feel. If you got a broken leg, you don't walk around with your bones sticking out of your leg. You go to the hospital, get it fixed.
2: Exactly. You know? Exactly. And but I think, you know, this is a, there are so many variables with mental health. Like there are ones where you can be on a 5150 because you could harm yourself or others. There are ones yeah. who just feel, you know politely sad each day yeah there's a very big scope and it's it's the lack of education that i think affects people and makes them so terrified to even discuss it and it's like look there are people like i need a i need a medication i have since i was 18 and i'm very proud to take it because you know why i take care of myself yeah i prioritize my mental health and i am able to be a functioning mom and a wife and an actress and 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 all these things but the There's a stigma about, you know, taking a medication, which is why my mom said to me a very long time ago, you would never tell a diabetic just to digest the sugar. You'd give him insulin. There's still so many weird stigmas. And the more we talk about it, the more we, you know, knock down all of these shame barriers and let people know that, like, we're all we none of us know what we're doing. Yeah, We're all just here. We have to share Earth. We're trying to make entertainment. Like, we don't know what we're doing. I make mistakes all the time. But if something that I can do, like, as Kristen, not as Kristen Bell, but as just a little girl from Michigan, if something I can do as this monkey is do something to make another monkey feel good, then Mm -hmm. I will do it. Yeah. Even if that means putting a little bit of a target on my back that, like, oh, people can write about me and about whatever. I don't know. Right.
0: And a target about what? Like, Oh, I'm human. Oh, I, you yeah. know, like, you know, like, oh, I'm, uh, yeah. I mean, and I, the second question about that, about you and Dax's openness, is there a Midwesternness to that? Because since you're both Michiganders, uh, I, I mean, do you think, so. think that there's something to that? Yeah.
2: I, I think that, per, I do believe this is the Midwestern, there is pride in the struggle, mm-hmm. kind of feeling of like working hard and, getting your hands dirty, going through it yep. is important. And it's prideful. And it's something you wear as like a badge of honor. Like I got my hands dirty. I worked really hard. I don't, you know, I, I know what it's like to get out there and and fix the lawnmower. Like I'm not trying to be too pristine or elite. I think that's definitely part of it, that there's yeah. part in the struggle.
0: I think there's also just kind of a And I mean, and I say this to someone who struggled with mental health issues. There is there is something instilled on you that kind of like you are who you are. And 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 in some ways that can be in in like a small town sense that can be like a sentence on you. But it also is something where you are who you are and you're not going to apologize about it. And you go out in the world and, you know, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and there's no reason to sort of play games or cover up. I mean, just, you know, to make yourself feel better or to make yourself look better or look worse. It's just, you know.
2: And I think it's also like you're, you know, maybe this is the Midwest in me, but like hard work is really important. And like, if I want to have a life that has a lot of smiles in it, then I got to, figure out how to learn about my brain, figure out what to put in my, what to put in my body and in my life and in my brain to have a good life. Like I'm, you know, reading this book right now called the happiness hypothesis. And it's talking about like all of these tiny little brain tests that were done on people where you were given, you know, seven words and you were asked, to put them in an order and the words were like used bother see and if you're had the word bother or annoyed in it you would walk out of the classroom and then they sort of like check in with you for the next couple hours you had those emotions later and if you had good words you had a happier day and like I'm explaining it poorly but the point is framing and what you expose yourself to is incredibly important so it's it does go back to the whole you know, you're exposing yourself to all these people's perfection, you might feel worse because you're comparing yourself. But if you're exposing yourself to like positivity and people who are saying, I'm j- I am am just like you and I made a mistake, me too, they're, it's just helpful.
0: Yeah. Is, um, your, you, uh, your folks divorced when you were pretty young.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, d- do you think that that was Do you think that that was a good, like, well, I mean, obviously it's not a good situation, but do you think it was better than most, or do you think that it was?
3: For sure.
0: It set you on a way of like feeling, you know, because my folks weren't close to each other, so I didn't see my dad very much. And so I think that set up issues, you know? Like, you know?
2: I don't know that I've ever seen my parents in the same room. Wow because they were divorced when I was really young. My mom sent me their wedding photograph the other day, like in the mail, a big one, and it was circular, like when they used to do circular. Yeah, yeah. And I stared at it for so long because I just, I'd never, I'm not familiar with that image. But what I will say is this, you choose what you carry. And like in, and maybe it's just because I'm reading this book right now, but it's like, if you have a little girl whose dad leaves, She has all this pain about it. Well, the only thing that factually happened is that the dad left the house. The girl's amount of pain throughout her the last twenty years is because she had a certain reaction to that. There is a way through cognitive behavioral therapy or talking to a therapist or working it out that you can choose to relinquish some of the struggles. I'm not saying all of them, because again, we said there's already there's so many variables in mental health. Some of them you can't drop. Some of them are addiction. Some of them are actually you know portions of your brain that, that. that that can't function well enough, but I, I never viewed it as something that I was missing. I got, my dad remarried and I got two stepsisters when I was like two. So I've always known them as my sisters. I never say the word step. They're just my Mm -hmm. sisters. And my, even though my parents were split up, I will say like, I'm grateful. And I had a good experience because my dad never like left. He never skedaddled. He always actually was renting a house within a mile of my mom. So that I could genuinely go back and forth. And when my mom got remarried or- like when my dad brought my stepmom in, I really did just feel like I had more adults that loved me.
0: Oh, wow. And That's that was, great.
2: And That's that was to say that I didn't fight with every single one of them. And that I yeah. didn't loathe my sisters when they would, you know, make me sit in a laundry basket and push me down the stairs or play Bloody Mary in the bathroom <laughs> and tell me I dropped the baby and I was going to die in my sleep. Like I had all that. Yeah. But I was able to recognize that the adults were sticking around like, even when my mom had gotten divorced and I had a stepdad that left, he still kind of called. So I guess I was lucky to be exposed to some pretty committed adults. That's even though great. Even they they're physically. And I just, I'm not going to choose to look back at that as I didn't have.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, I'm like, I can do a, a reframing that that was simply the childhood that was for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean... You like you said, you do have the benefit of adults that cared about you and adults that were there,
2: big time, and
0: that yeah, and so that does it makes it easier for you to choose, to, you know,
2: what I carry, absolutely, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
0: yeah, because yeah. it's, I mean, you know, and it's always, I, it's always such a strange thing when I talk about like, you know, my dad not being around and that being sort of developmentally hurtful or or detrimental or whatever. Because you know, there's plenty of healthy people that grow up, w- you know, with one parent or with y- y- you know, one parent and then another parent. It's just there's all different ways to do it, but it does seem optimal to have everybody there. You yeah, know, just I, you know,
2: it could have been that there are even tiny specific moments that you're not even remembering that affected you profoundly, that had to do with the absence of that a father figure. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't, again, like, that's why we go to therapy because we don't know how, we don't know why the brain works like it works. We don't know why the hippocampus takes in things or the amygdala is like a super highway for fear and rage. Like, we don't know all of these things yet. We don't know why we can't constantly be in the frontal lobe. And it's like, Um, you know, we're just, we're, we're, we're riders on an elephant and the elephant is our brain and the, the riders are the frontal lobe, but we're small and we can't always control the elephant. Yeah. But when you go to therapy, your rider gets a little bigger.
0: Yeah. Do you think that that support structure, uh, helped you to be, cause you were, you know, you were, uh a theatrical kid, young, like you, you really had a, I assume a drive to, to be on stage and to do this stuff. And do you think that, that having that support structure and having all those adults around was part of that? Or do you think it's just coincidental?
2: Um, I think it was actually detrimental because oh, really? none, none of the adults in my life wanted me to do it. Oh. My mom did not understand any of it, but, but, but I also, I have been a very good, Debater, and arguer from a very young age. So mm-hmm. I, for her, I wanted to do this, and she's. And she,
0: you wore her down. I, I did. I yeah, did.
2: yeah. I was
0: this. I was the same kid. My mom t- has told me she stopped arguing with me when I was about eleven years old because she couldn't win.
2: Yeah, a, because yeah. Was too fatigued. Yes. But, but my mom was supportive. She was never driving me to do it, but she was incredibly supportive of the things I wanted to do. Um, and my father... Was an is a news director, so it is his job to do the hiring and the firing of on-camera talent, right? Yeah, he controls everything that the station airs, and so he did not want his daughter exposed to. Well, you're gonna not gonna get this job because your face isn't right. Yeah, you no, know, like he didn't. That's brutal.
0: It sure is. And, yeah, um,
2: he didn't necessarily want it, but he's he never impeded it. He never got in the way. But no one in my family understood it. No, not a single person was ever in show business. Um, so I, yeah, I just convinced the adults around me, and I had a drive to do it. And I, when I was going to move to New York, where I first met you, Andy,
3: yes, um,
2: I told my parents I was going to apply to um, New York University and Northwestern. And I applied early admission to NYU, and I never sent in my Northwestern application at this
3: time.
2: I thank God that I didn't have to fess up to that. I got uh, into NYU early admission and my mom was nice enough to like try and figure out how to fly me there for an audition. And I felt so at home in New York City when I first got there. I couldn't believe that I had stayed in Michigan even till I moved to New York when I was 17. And I I was
0: going to say, yeah, you're a freshman in college, early admission. I 17. Loved it.
2: I loved it. And then I figured out how to get an agent. And look, it's not any easier for anybody. Like no one, there's real, no real connections that you can have have like you got to submit your headshot you got to audition and then I auditioned for a little movie called Pootie Tang yeah and I met my very best friend in the whole (laughs) wide
0: world (laughs) I was gonna say Wanda Sykes Uh, (laughs) yeah that's right your screen debut was playing my daughter in Pootie Tang and I saw something it's in the movie isn't it there was something about it being cut out
2: it is cut out, but it's in the credits. Oh, okay. It's over the credits.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a, well, it's a weird scene in which I'm a record executive, a cartoonish record executive with a cigar and I think you were wearing a Catholic schoolgirl uniform.
2: No, I was because everything was that cliche. It, yeah. You know what it ended up being, I believe it was a redundant scene. Like Pooty was you. It, the points had already been made in the movie that Pooty had control over uh, ladies. Right. And that's kind of what our scene was exhibiting, because remember, I was giving him sass and then he sort of made eye contact and I went all like blurry eyed. like Right,
0: right. Control the cape so turned on that you were, you know, cowed
2: exactly. Yes. Exactly, but that point had already been made in the movie, but they did put it over the credits, and that was yeah, my yeah. first my first job.
0: And that's when you knew uh, Pootie Tang is just the first step on the you way. You
2: remember to... the full title of Pootie Tang?
0: Uh, no, I do not. I do. What was it?
2: Pootie Tang in Sign Your Pity on the Runny Kind. <laughs> I have
0: not seen it in a million years.
2: You know where I still have the bath towel that I was given? Really? Yeah, it says, I I was, yes, the other day I was folding laundry and I holed up the towel and I was like, oh my God, I still have this bath sheet. It says "Pooty Tang at the bottom in purple.
0: That's amazing.
2: Yeah.
0: That's amazing.
2: It's almost well, as long well of a title as uh The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window.
0: That's, you know, it's good you think you bring that up because I knew I was going to slaughter that title. I was like, I should have that written down in front of me. But I saw the first three episodes of it and it's so fucking funny. Uh, We'll get to the end and plug that too. But I mean, but it's just like, and I don't even watch kind of, you know, Hallmark Lifetime movies. But like I get, I've only seen like little bits of them, but I get everything. And what I love about it too is how subtle it is. Like how so like I an I think like a person just a few years older than me could watch that and not understand that it was anyway a spoof.
2: A hundred percent. And yeah. that's why it makes me laugh even more. Yeah, yeah. Because the goal was to be so subtle that it was almost Not noticeable. And yet the jokes, like in pre-production, the jokes were so big. I mean, we were just making sure that the world was as stupid as possible because these cliches, this formula that is the psychological thriller, there's so much to poke fun at. And we lovingly attempted to poke fun at it. Yet, if you really like these movies, you could watch it and think it's just a great murder mystery.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And like one of my favorite things about it is that your character is bereaved Mm -hmm. Uh, you know like she has a dead child and a husband that's gone and she's can't get out of a slump and she's drinking like I remember there was one scene where it was like you you go back and it's just kind of been like it hasn't been that long in one evening and it's like wait a minute she polished off two bottles of wine in that time like this person is has a really serious drinking problem and she and her house are immaculate.
2: That's another immaculate. Thing and she dresses like she has a billion dollars. She's always yes. a soft white cashmere. Yes. <laughs> in all of these movies in the undoing and all of these you know new thrillers where do they get their money they're a Yeah yeah crazy. yeah. why are they in Louis Vuitton and Gucci that's right. another one of the jokes and the red flags all around her house that like when you see the the wine uh the corks that are in the bowl the bowl, yeah. there's 400 corks in there <laughs> and it's just like that's a red flag and yeah. the apartment filled each of the bottles with this hibiscus tea up to perfect surface tension line to the to the glass so every time i poured i didn't really have to look i just knew it was going to be completely surface tension because wow. i measured it and then i had
0: Yeah to yeah. Yeah. It off the top. Oh uh, it's
2: she's an artist and she just wonders if she'll ever give the world her beautiful paintings again her talent and then they show her paintings So they're so average <laughs> yeah.
0: they're flowers.
2: So, oh my god. She paints
0: flowers. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff
2: from just
1: $30. Life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Crispy. So go
0: ahead and hit the turn signal. If you know about this juicy gem
1: of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. can you tell my loves
0: are growing? Do, do you ever have a plan B as you're as you're doing, as you're starting this out? And and I, I also I want to go back to when you get to New York City and feeling so ready for it. Do you just think you were a city person? And did you had you feel did you feel like you were kind of bursting at the seams of your Michigan life? Yes. And we're sort of uh, had enough because I, I mean, I really I relate to that in high school. I was like I, I was miserable and I realized, oh, it's because I need to go somewhere else. I need to be somewhere bigger.
2: I mean, my framework as a human being, the lenses that I look through aren't necessarily that I would ever be really miserable. I mean, when my anxiety and depression hits, sure, I'll use the word miserable. But mm-hmm. in Michigan, I just felt Like I wasn't able to, I don't know, stretch my wings or something, or like I wasn't seeing as much culture as I wanted to see. I wanted weirder. That's a perfect way to say it. I wanted weirder. Everything felt very the same and boxed in. And and it was formulaic. There was a lifestyle that was formulaic. And there were two great schools in Michigan, U of M and Michigan State. And when you asked a kid in high school in Michigan, where they were going, you didn't say, where are you going to college? You said, are you going to U of M or are you going to state? Yeah, because it wasn't an option. And I would see things on TV like drag queens and I would go, where are they? Those are my people. Like, where are those people? And so when New York became an option, and again, like, I worked two jobs the whole summer before going to NYU. When I got in, my mom and I sat down, and it was going to be very difficult for us to make the payments and I worked at a coffee shop in Birmingham, Michigan, and I opened at 4.30 in the morning and I worked until 10.30, 10.45. And I put out all the pastries and I served everyone their morning coffee. Then I went home and I went to sleep for two hours. And then I went uh, to the Outback Steakhouse where I was a hostess and I started at four and I worked till eight. And I did that six days a week the entire summer before going to NYU because I wanted it that badly. Yeah. And when I got to New York, I saw street performers and um, and finally drag queens and weird like um, uh, you know performances in a black box theater with one person a one-man show a one-woman show and just like red spalding gray and like really weird wonderful theatrical experiences around every corner and i don't even just mean on the stage like new york is just full of it i loved it i loved how many different people could coexist in the same place Mm -hmm. and live among their differences and i think That's what I had been craving. I like differences. I'm stimulated by them. I like to know how people solve problems. I like to try new different styles of food. I like to see how people are wearing their hair. I like, you know, I just like all of the forms of expression that make humanity different.
0: And it's not one thing I always that struck me about New York City was that When you go there, and like you said, you are in close proximity to virtually every kind of humanity that you can think of. Mm -hmm. And so much of coming from a small town, coming from the Midwest, is people being afraid of people that aren't like them. Mm -hmm. And it's just like... You should just go to New York City and say, you know, just be there for two weeks it's and not find out scary. that
2: it's not. Yeah. Scary. It's actually really fun to see how yeah. human humans do different things.
0: Ride the subway yeah. and realize you're not going to die. You know,
2: your accents, try different foods, See yeah. the, the Jewish community and how they do it or the drag queens and how they do it and see that, like, nobody's bad or scary. It's just these are the different ways that you can live as a human being. Yeah, that was always stimulating to me. And I think that's why I desired to get out of Michigan. I just wanted more. And I was never born with a fear of those differences. Yeah, I wanted to see more of it.
0: I I remembered one thing I wanted to ask you, because when you were talking about getting into showbiz as a kid and your father kind of worrying about you being put in front of people who would judge you, which is actually a conversation that I had with my daughter who's 16, and she has friends that are actors, and she was for a while was kind of saying that she wanted to do it, and I told her I wouldn't let her. I said, if you want a job – when you turn 16, you can go work at the grocery store or, you know, you can do something like that. Because I told her, I said, you're going to be surrounded by adults who uh, will be judging your looks, will be judging your voice, will be judging how you move, will be judging how you act. And they, A, you shouldn't have to put up with that. Like, you shouldn't have people judging your body and your face and you, your weight and your height and and – and I said, and also, too, these people will act like you're, they're your friends, mm-hmm. and they're not your friends. And I wonder if you, I mean, your dad had that trepidation, and you still, you know, went onward and, and, and pursued acting. If one of your girls would want to do that, would you, how would you feel about that?
2: Well, my initial reaction was no, but for all of those reasons. Yeah. And Dax as enlightened as he is, and as he is, he he lives to be devil's advocate. He said, Hey, quick question. Do you like your job? And I said, yeah. And he goes, Oh, cool. Are you overpaid? And I was like, drastically. He said, okay. And you wouldn't want that for our daughter? And I went, okay, good point. Like he, he was basically like, do you feel creatively fulfilled and can you pay all your bills? And are you happy? And I realized Well, yeah, I am a little bit projecting my fears and the experiences I've had on my daughter. What if my daughter's like bulletproof in her self-confidence and it doesn't matter to her and she just wants to be Eve Ensler, you know? Like Mm -hmm. what if that's her? Like, well, I can't stand in the way of that. But at the same time, knowing what I know, I can't be a mother and not use my wisdom. So like my daughter does do plays and stuff. And when she asks about my career, I, I'm brutal with her and I tell her the honest truth. I'm not just like, try your hardest. I'm like, you're going to not get a job because of the way your face is shaped. You're going to not job because of this or that and also that none of that matters and you just go okay well that wasn't the job for me and you move on that's how I survived it because Mm -hmm. I was for like 10 years in this category of I would audition for things and say they would say well you're not pretty enough to be the the love interest but you're not quirky enough to be the best friend so there's just no place for you and I would and I and it was frustrating because I wanted to be an actor and I and I couldn't because I couldn't get cast But I think that—
0: And also because these fuckers have all these pronouncements that they're so sure about, and most of them don't know a shit about anything.
2: Right, but see, it's different now, though, because, Andy, you and I are a little bit older. Now people can make their own stuff. Like, you have— Yeah, that's true. You know, like, you— you have all of these people who are doing their own weird style of comedy, like Tim Robinson, who's going to mm-hmm. cast Tim Robinson. And then he makes the show. I think you should leave. And it is the most brilliant yeah. comedic show to ever hit the airwaves. And I've seen Unbelievable. It. it got me through the pandemic, but like, He's not necessarily castable right. in the formula that you and I are talking about, and that's because the formula doesn't exist anymore. So <laughs> I mean I hate to say this is my rose colored glasses again, but I'm asking you to put them on. It's All like they right. our- look good on me. They do look good. If (laughs) our kids want to do it, then they're going to have to come up with some unique content. They're not going to get a free ride of like I I, no one made it happen for me. I'm not going to cut any corners for them. But if they want to work hard and make movies on their iPhone and try to come become a good storyteller then I think I would support that. And I mm-hmm. would also sit next to them if they felt rejected and didn't get an audition. And I would give them the absolute honest truth, which is like, yeah, it's going to hurt. And if you're going to audition again, it's probably going to hurt again. So you can either become bulletproof or you can go get a job somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Do, do, you think, do you think there's any difference between you coming from Michigan and being a kid in show business and them being in LA and being a kid in show business? Do you worry at all about that difference?
2: I do because, yeah, that's a good point. Out here, it seems like it's what everybody does. Yeah. And that's so insane because, like, sometimes I've, you know, tried to talk to my kids about the numbers, like, when they've been like, well, why want you to pick me up from school? And I'll go, yeah, but if I don't go to work today, there are literally 100,000 people who would take my spot in an instant. Yeah, yeah. I have to keep my job because I know how lucky I am. Yeah. And I think – that comes from not just Michigan but growing up in the theater where you go sit in your moldy dressing room until you're called and you better be on stage for your cue. There's no knock on my trailer situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're rough on our kids in that way that we let them know how lucky we are and the fact that we this comes with a ton of pros uh, and some cons when the privacy sets in and we you know, are being followed or people come up to us at dinner but we are always going to be great and lucky because we have a really really good life
0: yeah what I mean you have to have a strong sense of yourself to really well to get to where you are and be as healthy as you are and 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 do you think that there's one source of that that you can kind of point to more so than others or do you just think it's was something that you were born with like it's kind of a self directedness and a self-preservation
2: well, I want to say I want to pat myself on the back end and say it's the work I've done. Like it's you the, can. It's the well, yeah, but I but I know science would tell me otherwise. Like wow. I want to say it's the CBT. I'm really good at CBT, and so if I have a problem, I will cognitive behavioral therapy, which is mm-hmm. the thing you like you say, okay, I have this feeling. Can anyone make a reasonable argument against this feeling? Like, and it's a, a very simple way to adjust your frame of reference, your point of view. Um, I. I want to say that I simply look at the scenario that my life could be, the 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 experience I could have. I could either have a framework that is optimistic and be happy, or I could have a framework that is pessimistic and be bummed all the time. And if I have those two choices and that's all, then I'm very clearly choosing the optimist's way of being. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, I also know for a fact that if you take – Identical twins, not fraternal twins, but if you identical twins, there've been numerous studies that separate them. Oddly, when they meet when they're 40, they're dressing the same. They have the same snorty laugh. They have the same point of view. Their nature has a lot to do with it. So I also will uh, uh, tip my hat to the fact that I think maybe I was just born with an optimist's point of view. And it's Mm -hmm. easier for me to come to these conclusions and say, yeah, Kristen, you could cry about this all day. Do you think at the end of the night you're going to be happier if you've cried about it all day? Or do you think you should just get out of bed and move on?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, and maybe choosing the latter might be a little easier for me than it is for some other people because of the nature I was born with.
0: Right. Well, and you also, you, I mean, you said you've been, you know, on medication for depression- Oh yeah. For a long, long time. And I mean, tell me how, th- like what got you to that point? And you, and, when you, and you say you were young.
2: Yeah, I was probably 19, mm-hmm. 18 or 19. And my, you know, my mom, who was also on an antidepressant had a conversation with me and she said, uh so there are studies that say this might be hereditary that's why I'm telling you but I have a serotonin imbalance and if you ever start to feel odd like a dark cloud is around you like you're very irritable like you're very sad like you don't want to get out of bed all of these like everything is a bigger problem than it should be all of these things that can that are the depressives feelings um, or the person who has anxieties feelings. Um, if you feel like that, just know that there's a ton out there for you. You can talk to a therapist. You can talk to me. You can, um, get on a medication. You can try and take more exercise, like get your endorphins up there. There there's a support system out there for you. So she let me out of the house with that information. And when I got to college, I did feel not like myself. At all. And I mean, it it takes so much to go back in my memory and try to say the exact feelings I was having, but I definitely started to work out more to try to get more endorphins. I talked to a therapist. I eventually talked to a psychiatrist who prescribed me an antidepressant. And the minute I got on it, I felt like myself again. Like when I was having these initial feelings of depression and anxiety, I felt like Kristen, me, was in a tiny cage inside my body and the whole world was just happening to me. Mm. Like it was just happening and I had no control and everything was sad and dark. And I was scared of that because inside I felt really happy. Like, why can't I come out? Yeah. Why can't I be here? What, what is preventing me? And it was because I had a serotonin imbalance, have a serotonin imbalance. And I needed a reuptake inhibitor. I needed a, I needed an SSRI. And the minute I got on it, it was incredibly helpful. And I'm not embarrassed or ashamed.
0: And has has that – has have you been able to maintain that same medication or has there been changes mm-hmm. or, you know?
2: There have been changes a couple times um, going up or down depending on God knows what. I mean, look, this is the thing. Like we talked about the variables of mental states. I don't even want to say illness. Of so people's yeah. problems, the variables. There are people who might need an antidepressant for three months of their life. And never again. Yeah. There are people who need it. For their whole life. It it doesn't, there's no formula. It's all, you just have to talk to someone who knows much more about it than you do. And there are two times where I've tried to get off of it because I read studies that serotonin reuptake could become a muscle memory in your brain. And I got off of it the first time for a year under my doctor's supervision. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go off of it. And he was like, great, then let's check in in a month and see how you feel. And I was off of it for a year and I felt totally fine. And at the end of the year, I started feeling really cloudy and cagey again. And I went back on it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Well then maybe I'll need it the rest of my life. And maybe I shouldn't be, again, shaming myself into trying to get off something that I know my body needs.
0: I already have arrangements that I'm going to get it uh, posthumously. They're going to open my casket. And give me uh, antidepressants just so yeah. I can be happy in the grave. I love that uh, because I, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had to change and be. And I mean, you get you know, s- they. I've been on different medications and side fe- side effects develop out of nowhere, and uh-huh. you're, you're like, what is happening? And then you realize, oh, it's the medication is doing something weird, and you know, yeah,
2: you know, I'm too sleepy, or I'm, you know, all those yeah. different things. weird
0: yeah. sexual things. Like I just, I mean, thank people that like. Can't have an orgasm because of the medicine that's keeping them happy. Like, what a fuck you from the universe you know exactly. that's terrible exactly.
3: well
2: that's yeah, yeah. why it's so important to like talk to talk to your doctor about it because they'll be able to tell you and they're like hey if your libido is low on this are you having something yeah. like on this antidepressant like there is something we can add during the day that's known as an as an anti-anxiety but what it's also known for is combating the lower libido like there's right. all these different things and like I'm just tired of people acting like that's scary and shouldn't happen. And then even bringing in like, look, I'm not, I don't love the Pfizer of it all. Like there's a whole deep well there, but the bottom line is I know that I need this medication. I'm happy this medication exists. I want people who have anxiety and depression to either talk to someone or work out more. Maybe they need a medication. I always say maybe because not everybody does. And I don't want to give anyone the impression that I'm like a pill pusher just because I know I need it. And I also very specifically never say what I'm on because I don't ever want anyone to go into their doctor and say, well, I want to be on this one because I heard that works because it Mm -hmm. works for this actress that I like. Like, it's very specific, you know?
0: Yeah. Do you think uh, at this – I mean because you you have so many things going on and you get to – not only do you have like – you know, big popular things and big hits that have happened to you, you get to do cool things like the woman across the house from the girl. And like, like not a lot of people get to do, and you know, just the shows that you've done, you know, from going, uh, from, uh, uh what the, the, the good, uh, the, yeah, Veronica Mars. And then the good place. And then like, like nobody gets to do like, where's your shitty shows? Come on, get on some shitty shows. Oh
2: my God, go to my IMDb. I guess that's they're, true. They're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. There singers in there. But you know what? I Ted Danson and I always used to joke about this. Like, um, you look for the smartest person in the room and you hitch your wagon to them. That's yeah. what you do. You look for the funniest, smartest person. And for a while, like, I, I have, no, I knew Mike Sure when I was 20 years old and I will forever be thanking my lucky stars that he called me one day and said, I have this project and I think it might be for you. Like, I... I stumbled into Veronica Mars. That was no decision of mine. People ask me in like fancy journalistic interviews, like, well, how did you make this career? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, yeah, I've yeah. all of these. Like, I have goodwill because I do my friends a lot of favors and I like working with people and then maybe they give me a good recommendation for something else. But I read a script. If I think it's funny or I think I would watch it, I do it. And to be honest, over the last like seven years, eight years, since I've had kids, it's all about the day-to-day experience for me. Yeah. Like, do I think there, I have a very strict no jerks policy. Yep. That's too short. Do I think I'll have fun? I have no desire to move to a crazy, you know, like to move to Greenland and do some crazy show under the ice. I don't want to do that. That's going to yeah, be yeah. Yeah. I want to be able to be home to tuck my kids in into bed. So the projects I take now, I say that up front, like, I don't want to work insane hours. I don't want to overwork the crew. I don't want to be overworked. I want to have fun here. I want everything to be respectful. I want to laugh with you guys and hopefully we'll create something good. And you just kind of pour a lot of goodwill into it because life is is too short. So now I only take things that I think I will have a good day-to-day experience on.
0: Do you think – are there shortcomings that you feel like you have that you're working on?
2: Oh, Tons.
0: I, I mean, but I mean, like, because you, you know, I, I mean, I've been buttering you up, but I mean, but you do, I mean, you do seem to have an enviable amount of balance in your life between. I mean,
2: weirdly, balance is a four letter word to me. It really? doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. I've tried forever. And in the beginning of my career being asked that or beginning of having kids being asked that question, I tried to give an answer, but that was just my brain trying to stumble into a. I don't know, be good enough for the interviewer. There's no fucking balance. When I'm at work, I want to be with my kids. When I'm with my kids, I want to be at work. I'm no different than anybody else. Like I'm, yeah. always, I'm always like, did you see that Seinfeld special from a couple of years ago? Nobody wants to be anywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: that is the most brilliant observation. But what I work on and my like, main goal is just like where you are. Like yeah. where you are. And I say it to myself as a mantra, all the time. And I have plenty of character defects. I can I can get hotheaded. I can have a real lack of patience. I can. There's so, so many. I can be a complete doormat. I can be way too naive and let myself get taken advantage of. And that's not like a, a I'm not patting myself on the back like, oh, I care too much. Like, that's a bad character. defect. Yeah, I do, t- I do. T-
0: I let people take it. Yeah.
2: And then, guess what? The consequences are my fucking fault. Yeah, it's my fault because I wasn't bold enough to say, I think there's a problem here. Or I need to tell you how I really feel. Whatever, mm-hmm. right? But, for me, it's
0: always like, you were mean to me and then I have to, you know, and then now it's like, well, you kind of let them be mean to you.
2: Yeah, and that's- You huge.
0: let them be mean to you, yeah. yeah.
2: But I, I mean, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. I'm grateful for having a baseline that's pretty optimistic. But I I think my main secret is that I am committed to a growth mindset. I don't ever want to stop gathering tools or learning. I I read so many books on brain development to try to figure out why brains work the way that they work and understand why instincts are what they are and what trauma can do. Like reading like Body Keeps the Score or Coddling of the American Mind or like any... I like brain science a lot. I like parenting books because I, I want to know how to create a really neutral environment to nurture these two girls that I've been given. And I believe that we were born with like a Barbie-sized toolbox. And I think your whole life, your objective should be just to gather more tools. Yeah. To figure out how to do conflict resolution, figure out how to de-escalate, figure out what if you're a person who gets hot-headed like me sometimes, figure out how to observe that feeling one minute before it hits and just say, I need a five minute break. I do those all the time. That's your only goal. You don't have to stop having all your character defects. You just have to get the tools to create a more neutral environment around you.
0: Yeah. Nice. Uh, That's all uh, excellent stuff. I endorse all of that. People go uh, live Christians' life. <laughs> uh, where? What? What do you want out of out of your future? I mean, do you want kind of just a continuation of what you're on, or is there something that you're missing? Do you have like a I'm quitting in five years and uh, you know, moving to a mountaintop or anything like that, or?
2: No, I don't suffer from wanderlust. I mean, not as much as my husband. My husband will see like a Folgers commercial in Montana and be like, we have got to look at property in Montana. We've got to move. (laughs) I do not have that. I am a homebody. I like sitting at home and doing puzzles. I also don't think that far in advance. It's against what I know is a good tool for me. Yeah. So five years from now, I have no idea. I have no idea. Today, I'm going to do press for the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. I'm going to remind myself how proud I am of the needle that we threaded with this weird comedic tone. Um, The last couple months, I've taken off and just been momming my kids, and I'm really enjoying it. And I know at some point over the next couple months, I'll hit a point where I'll go, I got to get away from these kids. I really (laughs) have a comedic experience with adults yeah and then i'll look for something or i'll read something in the interim i have no idea i'm like a big it's not fate or destiny at all but just like a what what the hell is the universe gonna bring to you yeah. and what are you gonna grab you know so i have no fucking clue where i'll be in five years that's
0: very improv that's very improv that is living yes and
2: yes like, yeah. and
0: yeah it is so yeah. you know, yeah, no, I I feel the same way, and especially like my life has had so many changes in the last few years. Uh, you know, like Conan show ending, my marriage ending. You know, just like my kids, my son is in college, my daughter's, you know, learning to drive, and I'm the same way. I don't know a year from now, six months from now, I don't fucking know. You know, I mean, I don't.
2: And why do we need to know? That's the thing. We're monkeys. All we need to know is what we're doing right now. Yeah. How to get fed? Yeah. How to take care of our young. Like, We're, just
0: just, used, to, we're used to worrying. We're used to worrying, you know, and we feel like I think, well, it's, you know, we're monkeys that can be eaten by tigers. So we worry as like, sure. a, a, you know, like a biological imperative. Um, so I think that there's something natural to being like.
2: You there know. is. But when you recognize, Andy, that it is a biological imperative, that is an installed piece of software in our brain that yeah. is actually kind of archaic and yeah. it needs to be updated. There are no tigers. Yeah. There are no tigers right now. Right. You know, everybody just needs to fucking cool it. We need a software update. Yeah. There are not as many monsters around every corner as we see. And I think that, like, that's my grand theory about why the whole world is always fighting. Because we're not fighting tigers anymore, but we still have these installed primitive instincts from, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of years ago where we were supposed to be scared for the tiger coming around the corner. Well, they're not there anymore. Now we can yeah. actually use our brains. We just need a software update.
0: Yeah. Although you could say that the planet, the sea's boiling is... a uh tiger sure
2: sure you sure you're, you're absolutely right that's, you're- that's was-
0: one of the main things i feel for kids is just how i mean my kids tell me like well what do you, you know if the planet's going to be ruined why why should i do my homework and i don't really have a good answer for them other than to be like well i don't i think it i think we'll figure it out you know and i don't you know
2: And really that's, but again, this goes back to the five-year plan. That's all we got to do is figure out today. Like I know like me with environmentalism, like I love it. I love that shit. But I also know to talk about environmentalism to people creates a fear-based response of like, no, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I, I can't be responsible. So you try to just go, how does the human brain work? It works in teeny tiny doses and you go, okay, well today, Maybe all you need to learn is this tip. When I get packages in the mail and they come in a, any sort of plastic, I use those as my poop scoopers. I go outside and I poop this, I scoop the poop that the dogs.
0: Oh, they, the dogs. Okay, good, 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 good.
2: The dogs, yeah. I was gonna, I
0: was gonna <laughs> say, if you're worried about paparazzi, that you should not be pooping in the yard.
2: But like, that's one way to reduce, reuse, recycle. Like I take plastic from around the house. So I don't, I don't waste, you know, something that's already going in the garbage. I go outside and I collect the poop in it. And there are teeny tiny differences you can make in your life that will contribute to a greater good. It's like, you know, um, there's so much in philosophy to talk about, like having done the good place that, It was one of the deepest wells of uh, constructive conversation with an endless amount of devil's advocates that you could have. And Mike Sir actually just wrote a book about it. It's called How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer in Every Moral Situation. And it's funny, obviously, but it goes into everything, uh, Kantian, utilitarian, David Hume, like all of these, Philippa Foot, all of these incredible philosophers about. And what he really boils it down to is it's just, are you trying?
0: Yeah,
2: are you trying a little bit? Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, do you think? I mean, because the point, you know, the the of this podcast is the there's a how, what have you learned? Do you think that that's probably falls under that? And you answered the question before I could ask it. Like, what do you think is the main the main thing you've learned from this journey? Using that awful word yeah. that people use too much.
2: It's um, you gotta keep trying. And you have to keep a growth mindset. It's it's two. And they're, to me, they're sort of one and the same. Yeah. Because the minute you become stagnant, the minute I become stagnant, I'll be miserable. Yeah, I'm looking for new information, better ways, and constantly striving every single day. And that takes a certain amount of energy, but it also fills me up a lot. It gives me a lot of endorphins when I figure out a new tip that I can do to... You know, keep the carbon footprint of the household down or um, get a new tip of, of de-escalation or conflict resolution to put in my toolbox. Just the only person you need to compare yourself to is who you were yesterday. And all you need to do is be a little bit better tomorrow than you are today.
0: Well, that's a good place to sign off. That was wonderful. Uh, thank you so much, for spending the time with me. And I wanted to, I just wanted to, I admire you and, and Dax, you more because, just cause. Uh, but no, it's, I, I really do admire and always have just uh, how you do it, you know, how how you present yourself in show business, how you present yourself as a, as a wife and a mother, and just as a human being who's trying to make herself better and make the world better. And, and it just, it's, it's very admirable and, and, uh, you know, bless you.
2: Thanks. You're welcome. It's great to see you, Andy. It's
0: great to see you too. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see each other around campus soon. Now that, uh, I don't know if COVID ever ends, maybe. Right this yeah, yeah. Is never over. yeah. Well, th- uh, thank you, Kristen. And thank all of you out there for listening. Uh, We will be back next week, God willing, I should always say, um, uh, with more Three Questions. Thanks. Bye.
2: I've got a big, big love for you.
0: The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Your Wolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producers Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts.
1: Can't you tell my loves are growing? Can't Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T Mobile.